Hello, and welcome to SaaS Marketing Insights, the show where we ask SaaS founders, CEOs, marketers, and investors about the lessons they've learned in their quest to grow their companies. My name is Paul Stevenson. I'm founder and CEO of SaaS marketing agency, 47 Insights. On today's show, I have an interview with Tom Kinchelow, VP of product at Shaw Swift Capital. Hope you enjoy it. Right, so Tom Kinchelow, um, head of product at Shaw Swift Capital. Uh, welcome to SaaS Marketing Insights. Thank you very much, Paul. Did I get all of that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you nailed it. It's It's been butchered uh, quite a few times in the past, so well done. So um, you have a history of helping SaaS businesses grow uh, going back a number of years now. So, you know, I'm, I'm keen to understand uh, a little bit more about what Shore Swift does um, and, uh, you know, how your role there reflects on, you know, what you've been doing in the past and, you know, all the great experience you've got in marketing and growth with, with SaaS businesses. So, so let's start off with Shore Swift. Um, for those who don't know, how do you describe what you guys do? Yeah, the way I would describe it is we're a uh, we're a startup um, that purchases and then uh, manages the existing teams of the products that we purchase. So we're much more of a uh, software SaaS product ourselves uh, than people might think when they see the term private equity kind of tied into it. So what we do is we acquire profitable businesses. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The majority of them are in the SaaS space. However, we also have an ed uh, tech and content portfolio uh, to comprise our 31 two properties. Uh, so yeah, our team is very much uh, composed of developers, customer happiness specialists, uh, skill specialists. Uh, you know, of course, we have HR and finance components, uh, but we're much more. Uh, we're much more like a software company than I think many people probably appreciate. And largely most of the team are also entrepreneurs. So they're very much uh, familiar with the bootstrap mindset and comfortable working in that kind of accountable environment environment that we've inherited from the founders we've acquired from. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. And, and so you've got a portfolio of 30, 31 companies of which the majority are SaaS. Yeah, I want to say, don't quote me on this. I want to say 14, 12, 14 SaaS products. We have a bunch of smaller um, content sites and three or four uh, education portfolio uh, products. So, yeah, it's a good chunk. It's it's a sizable portion of our business. Sure. And so um, describe, uh, you know, tell me a bit more about, you know, your role within uh, Shaw Swift and, and, and what you do, because, you know, that's a, that's a lot of product. <laughs> yeah, so I actually uh, entered the Sure Swift team through an acquisition. I was the head of growth for a property called Mail Parser uh, and also collaborated on Doc Parser, which was the, uh, the sister product uh, started. Those were founded by Moritz Dossinger, who is a German developer based out of uh, Paris, France. 
so I worked with uh, Maritz uh, on those products. And when we acquired, when SureSwift acquired MailParser, I stayed on as the head of growth and eventually just kind of grew my um, presence out to other products in the portfolio because that that specific property had really solid results. So we just kind of rolled the blueprint over to other properties and started uh, coming up with better checks and balances in areas we could improve based on the opportunity to look down on the portfolio and see areas that may not be as optimized as they should be. So. I went from being a product manager or head of growth on one product to two to three to to five, and then started kind of running out of hours in the day um, and started promoting from within some of the key players that I really counted on to make those products um, as successful as they were. And so very much uh, upward mobility with the existing teams um, and good hires allowed us to kind of like backfill the pipeline with talent. Uh, and so that's what we've we've done. So now I oversee the content portfolio, the uh, education portfolio, and the SaaS portfolio. But I have really fantastic people in each of those that are basically senior product managers. Uh, some of them are uh, founders of our portfolio products that we've acquired that wanted to stay on afterwards. So it's a really phenomenal talent pool to get a to get to work with and to collaborate with. Oh, that that sounds like a, a really good setup. So, um, you know, having worked in a number of different SaaS businesses and been responsible for for growth, uh, and now with this portfolio of you know a substantial number of SaaS businesses within that, you must have seen over over the years some some patterns, some common mistakes that um, that you know maybe bootstrap founders uh, make or um, businesses, you know, situations they get themselves into, uh, you know, with respect to, to, to marketing. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you see 30 businesses and, you know, a lot of times that's 30 founders and they all approach to different, their analytics accounts are set up different. They all use different software to compose their, <laughs> their, their, their working stack. Um, there's some that, you know, are more preference based and there's some that are you know arguably uh more solid products but at the end of the day the thing for me that jumps out is uh actually understanding where your people come from understanding of those people that are coming into your site who's converting and not who's sucking your support team dry uh who's actually turning into a paid customer and what's the lifetime value of that customer and then reverse engineering once you profile the clients that are the ones that are the most meaningful to your bottom line and start your content strategy to track more of those folks, to uh, have your customer happiness team uh, approach onboarding different while the folks now turn into these uh, lifetime clients so that they get set up properly. And so it's kind of because there's so much diversity in all the products, even though there's software as a service, there's not like just one, you have to do this kind of aha, but it is that there's some things you can almost always be doing better. And I always like, I would consider myself to be a salesman first and foremost. Like that's how I got into SaaS. I was pounding the phones, you know, selling $400 a month plans, uh, 80 calls a day. And I did really well with it. But the biggest problem for me was the fulfillment of the product to the customer and meeting the expectations. 
And so it's really about listening to the customer, what they want, finding the ones that we should be targeting and going after. And if you want to stratify that into, you know, SMBs and certain disciplines within, you know, small to medium sized businesses or technology companies, like really identifying who it is, but starting out like casting a wide net and then reeling it back and targeting until you've tapped it out and then growing it incrementally on the ones that are the next biggest target, the next biggest target. And, you know, continually updating your content strategy to purge or, you know, maximize the content that you have that's maybe underperforming. Yeah, I could go on and on and I'm probably sound a bit <laughs> random the way I'm talking about it because there is a lot of changing of context working on a property like this and then this and like this. But fortunately, I have a really superb team that identifies a lot of that from the front lines, whether it's devs, whether it's support, whether, you know, a marketing specialist that bubbles up. We round, we disseminate. So, so, um, so even with the you know the B two B SaaS uh, products you have in your portfolio, there isn't really this um, one playbook that you know one one playbook to rule them all, uh, one approach that you take, um, or or maybe there are certain common elements. I was just wondering, you know, how you deal with. Uh, you know, standardized reporting across all of those, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, growth reporting and, and, and what's happening with marketing. Yeah, so that's a good point. When the opportunity is there to, to uh, standardize tool sets and, and platforms and, and things like that, we do so. Um, but there is, there is a standard playbook, but it's not a, it's not a playbook. Um, how shall I say this? There's a checklist for every property when, when something is acquired that's built off of just these experiences. And so that could be looking at the navigation. It could be, you know, is there, is there not a phone number? What's our support SLA? Like there's, there's a ton of different things. How is the pricing uh, model set up? What's the onboarding journey? Do you have triggered emails? What happens if they are, they've trialed and they haven't started using the product yet? What does that sequence look like? So we really, kind of rip it apart when we first see it. Uh, we do have a checklist with checks and boxes and say, check this and see if we need to improve it. Check this and see if we need to improve it kind of things. And it has been built uh, by the collective army of folks that are the SureSwift Capital team, whether that's support, whether that's marketing, whether that's founders, so that you can collectively pour that in. It's a pretty active ongoing process as you could imagine. Um, yeah, it's it's a huge opportunity to optimize what a founder who's hit the ceiling and just kind of tapped out like they're tired, they 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 want to move on to something new or they can't they're not a content marketing specialist or they don't know how about pricing. And mm -hmm. so you can lean on these um experiences from other products in the portfolio and apply them and mm -hmm. keep from stagnating in your growth. Yeah, I think that's uh yeah, I mean, if people want to, um, you know, they've taken it as far as they they can take it, then, uh, you know, taking some money off the table uh, and working with guys like you, um, it's, it's a huge potential, I think, for them. Um, so I was keen to uh, understand what, uh, how much of um, the marketing side of things you guys look at as part of your due diligence um, and how you know deep you would go, and again, you know, I guess you've got uh, some checklists for that. But uh, just curious about 
you know how how much detail you go into before you even buy something yeah so we have a team that goes in and analyzes all the properties uh from just like the business uh and the numbers of the of the property to uh the tech stack to everything in between and yeah the marketing is something we all have a little bit of a um get excited about when you look at something and you go, oh, these guys haven't this for a while, or maybe this hasn't been implemented, or they don't know their pricing model is leaving this much meat on the bone, right? Like there's absolutely um, a lot of opportunities that you see and you assess right away, but understand too that like the acquisition uh, dance, shall we call it, is um, very, very uh, multifaceted and there's a lot of trap doors and people will want to uh, reach out about an acquisition and then they decide they don't want to or they're using a conversation with you to to help inform them certain things. It's a very, it's a complex space. Um, and so until we're to the point with like a letter of intent where we see something that we're really interested in, I don't sink a ton of time with really, really, really detailed marketing analysis. It's just more of a superficial run through the checklist, look at the opportunities. Yeah, there's some things we can do here. This is pretty exciting. Oh, it's built well, great. Oh, the customer support is uh, is looking good, great. Uh, oh, they've got fantastic reviews, great. It's a solid, uh, solid founder to collaborate with, you know, high integrity individual, great, let's move it forward. Yeah. Hopefully, I, hopefully I'm answering your question. I'm, I'm giving no, you a few generalities, but uh, I feel pretty confident with the team that we have that any product we acquire, we can pour our collective marketing mojo into and get more out of it. Like our team, like one of the founders properties we acquired used to own a digital agency. Uh, we had, we've had some really talented people come through our door that still lean in with us and contract with us or run teams themselves. Mm -hmm. So I really look at us, you asked me a question earlier, like how do you see yourself? I mean, we are kind of an agency, we're just, running our own products like mm -hmm. we're we are the client so there's no hold up we we can cradle the grave concept you know identification you know strategy implementation timelines juggling things to prioritize um so it's like you have the keys to the kitchen which is a beautiful thing <clears throat> yeah indeed um and i was thinking about you know you've obviously got a lot of experience now as your your team has in terms of acquiring B2B SaaS businesses. Um, you know, obviously, you know, SaaS it all sounds the same to people, or B2B SaaS sounds the same, but there's there's just a myriad of different um, categories and uh, sectors, uh, verticals. Uh, you know, for example, we know in MarTech, there's six, 7,000 products alone. Uh, you know, how do you get to grips with understanding uh, you know, say a, a market that that perhaps no one on your team has any experience with. Um, obviously, you know you're acquiring the business. You've got the expertise of the people already involved, but um, you know you have to get your head around it as well. And you know how much um, do you get involved with looking at um, what competitors are doing? Yeah, it's a good question. I think you run the risk if you're not willing to take on something you're a little bit uncomfortable with of getting too homogenous and maybe missing out on a market opportunity. So really 
first and foremost, it's, is it a profitable business run by a quality founder with a solid team? And if the answer is yes, um, I've yet to find a situation where the team isn't willing to consider an industry that's not uh, something in our wheelhouse or maybe a little new to us or, or with a type of demographic they're servicing maybe internationally that we haven't uh, had any experience with. So really, first and foremost, it's about the people that built the, the product and the product itself and how it's revered and is it, is it profitable? Is it working well? I'm, I don't feel like we're generally too concerned about it being in an industry, but sure, competition uh, research is a huge component of it. Uh, you look at you know, the competition and, and see like, is this a uh, invest and grow property or is this a you know, keep it on the road and, and, and run it as long as you can with really solid margin? You know, like there's different yeah. reasons to acquire different types of businesses. Uh, that said, I feel like in the last, you know, I've been with SureSwift uh, almost three years now. Um, in that time, I've seen the evolution of our acquisition strategy evolve to the point where like I wouldn't have even recognized it three years ago. In regards to the processes we have in, in place, the transition guide that we built, um, the individual uh, role players that lean in and give their perspective on the product that help us, you know, onboard A properties instead of D properties, and then find out, you know, 90 days after acquisition that we're in real trouble. Um, that isn't something that I feel is uh, is in our uh, in our headlights anymore because of the improvements we've done through process. So a lot of it is process checklists, checks and balances. Yeah. So. Um... We were just talking earlier before we started recording, and you're, you're telling me that you're uh, you're currently in Portugal or you're based in Portugal now. Um, so, is Shore Swift, uh, you know, fully remote team, or is there a, like a, a central office? How do you guys operate and and communicate? Because obviously, you're a really tight team uh, doing some fantastic work, and just wondering, how, you know, how how you run that. Yeah, great question. So um, our founders were based out of Victoria. Uh, one of them has since relocated in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So we we have a little, uh, shall we call it a, a micro team there where we have some finance and, and some other uh, talent that collaborates. We have some interns that come through a local university that um, that does some work for us. So that's probably our biggest grouping of talent with maybe five, six people there, and we have three or four in Chicago and a handful in the, the metro New York, New Jersey area. But yeah, of the, I haven't looked for an exact count, but somewhere in the 75 to 85 people that we have, I want to say last time I checked, it was in 10 countries, 14 different time zones. Um, it really, it's really a non-issue for us because everyone that is on the team now came into the team from that environment. They were working remotely for the founder, you know, developing out of Brazil or running customer support out of Tel Aviv. And, and so they entered something very familiar and all of us worked in that environment. So it's really just more of us. And so sure, we have to be a little bit more structured than we used to be in regards to uh, overlap times to have team meetings and things of that nature. But 
using, you know, the basic toolkit that a lot of us use, whether it's Slack and Zoom or whether it's, you know, uh, WhatsApping, you know, for an emergency when you can't get the other ones to work. There's a handful of ways, but we stay pretty communicative. Um, we also managing a lot of projects in different uh, product uh, project management. We, we tend to use Trello for the most part. Uh, and you have the opportunity to just have a continuous process on these products, regardless of where people are, as long as you stick to the playbook and you, you update and tag people and let them know, you know, the baton has been passed to them. Um, that's generally how we, that's generally how we view it. I hope I answered your question. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we're spread all great. over the place. We're all over the yeah. place. Uh, which is the thoroughly modern way to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, finally, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, because we, we do have bootstrap founders who, who listen. Um, uh, and marketers and even some investors. Um, so, you know, SureSwift is continuing to uh, acquire uh, bootstrap B2B SaaS businesses and, and other businesses as well. Um, you know, what's broadly speaking, if you can put it simply, uh, you know, what should people be, uh, what's the right way of putting this? What 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 is it that you guys are looking to to buy? Not particular companies or whatever, but the kind of profile that uh, you know, mm -hmm. if there's a founder listening, they could say, "Well, yeah, that's you know, we're in that situation, or you know, we're not quite there yet." Yep. Yeah. So, I think the best way to sum it up is like, and I, I'm I may be beating this to death, but like quality individual. Uh, quality, integrity-laden, accountable entrepreneur. Uh, that's, I can't stress that enough. Um, somebody who's running a profitable business and has a meaningful amount of clients. So five or six clients, like the maturity of the product and, you know, the firestorm that could come with, you know, going left or going right there isn't as clear. Somebody who has, you know, several hundred clients on board and a meaningful MRR in the, you know, four or five digits, it's, it's much, more, uh, much more appealing, especially if it's a strategic fit for something that's already in our existing portfolio. Um, and something that runs on solid margins, meaning it's well run, you've, you've optimized it in regards to the tech stack as much as you can so that you're running a profitable business and most of the founder profiles that fit ours are, are founders who are frankly like they're tired of the HR or the people management side. I, I shouldn't speak for them. You can go on our website and read some of their, <laughs> listen to some of their interviews if you like, but uh, they kind of hit the ceiling and whether that's in regards to thinking they could bring it further uh, along or they just want to try something new. Um, and so, yeah, I guess profitable businesses, um, businesses that run on healthy margins, and they have a meaningful enough client base that let's just call it product maturity or product market fit is reasonably, not guaranteed, but confident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully that answers your question. That does, Tom. That's great. Um, thank you very much for your time today. It's been it's great to... Uh understand a bit more about how you guys work and um you know i'd be interested to see uh you know what acquisitions you make going forward yeah absolutely uh it's it's one of the most uh, enjoyable parts of the entire role is looking at all these opportunities and talking to founders that have 
built something from the ground up and hearing their stories and looking at the products, it's, it's really, really fulfilling. And it's really nice to be able to give founders who put so much into their own businesses a really fantastic exit. So it's, a, it's kind of a great gig, to be honest with you. Thanks a lot, Tom. All right. Appreciate it, Paul. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tom. For more info about ShoreSwift, please visit www.shoreswiftcapital.com. For more info about this show and to get our links to iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher and YouTube, check out www.47insights.com. And if you have any SaaS marketing insights that you'd like to share on the show, please get in touch. Until next time.